You guys open the book of Ephesians? Chapter 1? All right. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. We've been uh, in this book for a month, and we're in verse 7. Last week, we got through the first half of verse 7, and we'll see how far we get this week. Maybe a few more words. I don't know. But let's pray. Let's go ahead and pray. So, Jesus, we, uh, Lord, we want this to be a different um, experience than anything we've ever come across before in our lives, in our Christian lives, and our, our walk as believers. Lord, we want your spirit to speak to us something new today. Lord, not, not, we don't want to be better than any other church, Lord. We just want to understand the great things that you have done for us. And Lord Jesus, the great riches and, and glory that you have given to us, mere mortal men who have been made children of God and who have been bought and purchased by you, Lord, there's so many things we could just break out in a song again and sing for another half hour of your love. Uh, but Lord, your, your word is set before us right now and you have something uh, to teach us. And you have something to maybe challenge us, maybe something to grow us, maybe something to encourage us, Lord. Maybe there's people who are just feeling down, having a rough morning, um, or Lord, feel distant from you. Lord, I pray we would hear and understand the truth Lord, that you are so close to us, and you are so in love with us, and you are so passionate to see growth in our lives. And Jesus, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Today's message is called, Choose Riches. Choose Riches. Why would you choose to be poor? Anyone have any thoughts of why? Does, you've heard, maybe seen, you've seen the documentary of the guy who said, I'm going to go out and, and live like a, a homeless person for a year, even though he had money. So I don't think he was technically a homeless person. <laughs> he was just kind of pretending to be a homeless. But he had this idea, if I, if I just maybe choose to be poor, I'll understand what it's like, or I'll understand what, what that is. If you ask Yahoo questions that, that, I did this this week, I asked Yahoo questions, what does it mean, why would someone choose to be poor? And the answers that came in are, uh, were a lot of people saying you're crazy, and then uh, someone saying they don't, but some have chosen that. Um, and, we, and we look at that and say you're crazy if you would choose to be poor. If you, if you, like, that's the way our, our world works, that's the way our mind works. If you are given the opportunity to have money, you'll take it. You would be crazy to not to take that. But I suggest to you that many of us in this room have actually chosen to be poor. And we don't even know it. We've made a conscious decision to not accept things that have been given to us. And we're totally cool with that. There was a missionary in West Africa who was trying to convey the meaning of the word redeem in the Bambara language. And so we asked his African assistant to explain it in his native tongue. We say, the assistant replies, that God took our heads out. Well, how does that explain redemption? Said the missionary, perplexed. The man told him that many years ago, some of his ancestors had been captured by slave traders, chained together and driven to the seacoast. Each of the prisoners had a heavy iron collar around his neck. As the slaves passed through a village, a chief might notice a friend of his among the captives and offer to pay the slave traders in gold or ivory or silver or brass, and the prisoner would be redeemed by that payment, and his head would be taken out of the iron collar that it was in. And so that's how they got the term, take his head out. Makes sense now. 
Well, we get to this verse here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. According to history, there were about 60 million slaves during the Roman Empire. They understood slavery. So the, the people back in Jesus' time and people who were receiving this letter, they understood slavery better than any of us. That they're, that, um, you know, and Paul here is he's teaching them that they're, they're, they're more than just mere property, which is how the Romans treated them, but they were actually precious human souls. And back then they were bought and sold like any, you know, any just commodity, like oil or, or metal. And last week, we studied how Jesus redeemed our lives back from that slavery by his blood. It wasn't by just his words. It wasn't by just his example. It wasn't by just him saying, you're forgiven. He actually had to pay the price, which was his blood. Because we're not just property. He couldn't just pay a price of gold or something like that for your souls, because we have human souls that he created. And we looked at the verse last week in Leviticus that said that blood is the offering that was required for a human souls. That that was the price. This week, I, fe- I came across a great song. Uh, it's by William Cowper called There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. And it says, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. That price paid was blood. Couldn't be gold, couldn't be silver, it was blood. When Jesus died on the cross, that price was paid in full. The price to make us free. We were made free on that day. And someone who could afford the price actually paid the price. So what I'm doing here is I'm setting up this foundation for us so you understand the word price and cost and money, a transaction that occurred on your behalf. Because there's something that it's according to that we're going to see later in the study. So when Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. You guys remember that? It wasn't, uh, this is almost done. Or this is just the beginning. Or to be continued. But no, he said, where's my receipt? He paid a price. And he said, it's finished. And so you guys know, especially you couponers, when you pay, you get a receipt back. And you check out that receipt thoroughly, right? You check out carefully. Did I get what I paid for? Well, Jesus said, it is finished. But so many times we treat it like it wasn't finished on that day. That there was no receipt. That's great that Jesus died and all, but I need to get on my horse and get some stuff done here and now in 2014 for Jesus. That's great that he died, but now it's about me. Now it's about what I can do for him. But we have been freed. What it says on this receipt is that we've been freed from that kind of self 
focus, that kind of self-dependency. It's not about what we did or what we do. It's about what he did on the cross. Everything is. So we're made free from that. He freed us from a lot of things. There's a lot of things written on this receipt that he freed us from. Number one, he freed us from the law. He freed us from a performance-based relationship. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. I mean, I know that I, I broke seven of the commandments yesterday, maybe. And I'm not judged by that. My performance of the law does not have anything to do with my relationship with Jesus. You have been freed from that. God will create obedience, which we've studied also, but you have been freed from a performance-based relationship. He's freed us from actually the power of sin, sin altogether, our internal desire for that sin. That's written on this receipt too. Oh, my blood has bought your desire. You used to desire sin. Now you have freedom from that. As you spend time with him, that desire fades away and wanes away. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, man, I just, I don't like to do those things that I used to do. To be that person I used to be, I'm a different person now. He's also on this receipt. He has just written on there, Satan. Because he freed you from that guy. From the temptation and the deception that Satan is so skilled at bringing in our lives. Another thing, he, he freed us from the, this world system. He just brought freedom. This world has gone a certain way. They think a certain way. Without even Satan or sin, they just think a certain way. And it's so human-based. And he just freed us from that so we can have a spiritual way of looking at things. So we've been redeemed. We've been bought with this price that was paid with his blood, brought back from the slavery to these things, made free, and now we see forgiven. Forgiven. We transition from what we've been bought out of to what was something we've been given, which is forgiveness. A Sunday school teacher had just concluded her lesson and wanted to make sure she made her point. So she said, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? There was a short pause from the back of the room. A small boy spoke up and he said, sin. Get it? You have to sin to be free. It's, it's funny. It's cute. Little boys are cute. I, I get that. I can picture that. I can see my boy saying, sin, sin, let me sin. Okay. <clears throat> but it's true. Every single one of us have that sin. We're all in that same place where we've, we've sinned, and you, each one of us feel guilty about it. We all, we all feel it. We know it. We, we, we are guilty. But when we look at this receipt, sin is, is the big thing that's on it. And sin has been paid for, and so he brings us forgiveness And I want to paint a picture for you guys of what that forgiveness means to God. Okay? I I keep this written in the back of my Bible when I'm I'm doing counseling with people or on the radio talking to people. And and they ask, you know, they're talking about forgiveness. And and you can tell that they're not forgiving this person. That they're they're like, I'm still mad at this person. What do I do? And I say, you've got to forgive them. And they say, well, I have forgiven them, but I'm still mad at them. And I, and I turned in my book, and I got it written right here in my Bible, okay? And so I have four questions that I ask them, or four promises that a, a forgiver makes. 
These are four things that, and they're so good, it's so good for me to remember, and it's so good because every single time I've shared this with people, and over the last year, this is probably 20 times, I've shared every single time, that person has almost been brought to tears with the realization, I'm not forgiving. I am not being obedient to God. I'm not forgiving. And so here's the questions. Number one, uh, or the promises that a forgiver makes. Number one, I will not dwell on the thing that you did. I'm not going to continue to think about it. So when you say, I forgive you, you are making that promise. I will not continue to think about it. I will not bring it up or use it against you. Wow. That's tough, especially when you're married, huh? Right? Amen. That is tough. But that's what forgiveness is. And by the Spirit, we can do that. And maybe you're starting to think, man, I really haven't forgiven my blah, blah, blah. I will not gossip about it or talk to other people about it. There's a third promise. And the fourth promise a forgiver makes is, I will not let this stand between us. I will not let this stand between us. When there's something gone on between two people that breaks, them, that breaks their relationship, there is not forgiveness. Because the person that been, has been wronged could say, I will not let this stand between us. I will forgive you. But then, you know, the most common thing they say, well, he hasn't even asked me for forgiveness. So, did Jesus say, forgive people who ask you to forgive them? No, he said, forgive people, because if you don't, you're going to become a bitter, mean old lady or man that acts like a bitter, mean old lady. I don't know. We, don't, we have to forgive because our hearts are the ones that get bitter. You guys have all heard the song on Caleb or WFM that talks about forgiveness and he says the prisoner really freezes you. I love that line. It's a great line. It's a good song. And it's true. God loves you and wants to forgive you. And he offers this. He's paid the price to forgive you. And I want you to understand what that means. In Psalm 103, verse 2, there's an amazing verse. And it says, As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is an awesome picture. It's probably a better picture than you even realize at the beginning because he doesn't say north to south. He says east to west. Because if you think about how the world works, north, if you keep going north, if you go north far enough, you're going south. And, and you'll eventually meet again. And it's, it's, it'll come back. But east to west... You can go east forever. And you could go west forever. There's, what he's describing there is that they never touch. It's almost too good be, to be true. So who is bringing up in my mind when I think about my sins of the past? If I'm a believer, if I know Jesus, and I'm reminded of a sin of my past, who's bringing that up? It's not Jesus, because he's made these promises to me. He said, I have got you forgiveness. What is our verse? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So he's made that promise. It's not him bringing it up. That's Satan, the world, your own conscience, all these things that need to be brought under the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. Hmm. Now turn with me to the book of Micah. You haven't turned to Micah in a while, have you? So let's, let's see what the book of Micah has to say for us. Because... It's pretty amazing. Micah is after the book of Jonah. 
So if you find the book of Jonah, you're almost there. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, right in those little minor prophets right there. Page 979. Maybe not. So in Micah chapter 7, verse 18... It tells us a little story about God and his, his heart about forgiveness. And so look at what this prophet Micah tells us in chapter 7, verse 18. He says, Who is like you? Who, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So here we see God is just passionate about being merciful and forgiving and getting rid of your sins. Here the picture is, he cast them to the bottom of the sea. And of course, these things are all symbolic for a place that we can never find them. That he could never go to dig them back up and bring them back up into your life. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself and carried them an infinite distance away with no return possible. And we are believers in that shed blood. And so we are the benefactors of the riches of his grace, which is what the last part of our verse in Ephesians says. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is not, our sin is not a spiritual game of hide and seek. You know, he's not hiding them so that one day he can find them or we can find them and they come up again and we're like, oh, I thought that was done and over in my life. No, it's not. And there's also no bitterness growing in God's heart about this. Do you guys ever think God is like, why do you keep sinning? Do you ever think God thinks that about you? I do. That's the condemnation that I feel when I do the same sin for the millionth time in that hour. (laughs) I, I get the feeling that God is growing bitter at me. That God has to be bitter because I would be bitter at me if I was God. But it's such a good thing that I'm not God. Micah says, who is a God like you that just loves to pardon sin? Just loves to cast it out because he loves to be free to love you with no bitterness. He loves that. He wants to just have a free and open relationship with you. So he has no bitterness in his heart because this forgiveness and this blood was according to the riches of God's grace. So how much have we been forgiven? What is the measure of God's forgiveness of us in Jesus? It says here, it's not out of God's wealth, but it's according to God's wealth. Now, that's a really big difference, but I'm going to illustrate it for you. See, our our redemption, our forgiveness, is based on the boundless resources of God's amazing, infinite grace. It would be like if you went to uh, Bill Gates and you said, Hey, Bill, bro, I got this really awesome charity. Would you donate 
some money to my awesome charity, Saving Babies. I don't know. Some great charity. And Bill Gates says, looks at you and he says, I like the look of you. You look like an honest person. I believe in that charity. So here, let me write you a check. And he wrote you a check for $25. And he's like, all righty. There you go. Turns around and walks away. What would you feel about that? Bill Gates is a... Ah, I would say some word. I don't know what I would say right now. But I would be upset. And see, what he is doing is he's giving out of his riches, not according to his riches. What would the check have to be for it to be according to his riches? Well, you have his riches... And let's say all of his riches is a picture of all his heart. And so whatever he thinks in his heart about your ministry, that's what he would write. So if he loves you with all his heart, he would give according to his heart, which would be millions and billions and trillions. I don't know how much, how rich is Bill Gates? He's rich, right? It would be a lot of money. And that's the difference between according to and out of. We, he... He's not giving us forgiveness out of the riches of his grace. It's not like there's this amount and he's like, all right, you get this much of my grace and that, that'll forgive you. No, he, he does it according to the riches of his grace. So riches, I want you to, to remember this, riches equals resources. When you think about the riches of his grace, I want you to think resources of his grace. I'm always talking about God's resources. Like in the men's Bible study, we're talking about it all the time. We're talking about trusting God's resources, relying on God's resources. It's a, it's a big deal in, in my own personal life. And his resources, his grace, is, is his resources given to you. He gives them all. He does not limit your access to all that he has and is. Even when we are unworthy, he gives grace. In fact, the crazy thing is, it's a requirement to have him give you all this stuff. In James 4, 6 and in 1 Peter 5, 5, it repeats the same verse, which is, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So God has all these resources, all this grace, and it's, he's just longing to pour it out into your life. And the way that we have access to it, the way that we receive it, is through humility. Well, that's, that's kind of the thing. That's the, the place, the rub, the, the spot where we get in trouble because we're like, I shouldn't need that much help. I should be able to do something. I mean, after all, I grew up in America. And I went to school with them teaching me that you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be in the army. You can do anything. Just believe in yourself. Believe in America. This, this is how we grew up. And yet God's word says, ah, oh, it's not that way. I will give you everything you need, my grace, my limitless riches and resources, if you acknowledge your need for it. If you say, God, I need that all those resources that you're talking about, they sound so great. And I know I've been living as a, as a beggar spiritually. And so I want that. So you have to acknowledge your need for that. That's humility. And he says, but he opposes the proud. So he says, 
man, if you're prideful, I would love to give you grace, but instead I have to hold you out at arm's length, away from me, away from my resources, away from the grace that I would love to give to you. Your pride. Because you're saying, I don't need it. So you're saying, fine. Go for it. Live your life. See how good you do. So, he, he doesn't limit our access, even though we're unworthy. In fact, that en- enhances our access. Even when we fail, he gives grace because he's forgiven us, as we just read. Even when we don't believe, oh, wait a second, maybe not. That actually is the thing that we need to do. Believe. Believe. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says we have access into his grace by faith. Faith is just believing. So this, this picture of how to receive God's resources is real easy. It's do you acknowledge your need for him? And then you, do you believe that he's actually going to give it to you? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe? That faith, that belief, is what grants us access to all these riches. And it's awesome. It's wonderful. It so levels the playing field. It levels the playing field of life because you don't have to be smart or talented or rich to be humble and believe. You don't have to have anything except a heart to be humble and believe. That's what makes God's way so wonderful and so perfect because that's how he decided to make it be. Matthew 9.29 is a great verse correlating to this. It says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith, if you believe. And how many times do we hear Jesus say, if you believed, if you believed, and he couldn't do miracles over here because they didn't believe, and, oh, this, it's such a key. Do you just believe that there's grace, riches of grace for you? Well, Paul is thinking, as he's writing this book of Ephesians right now, he's like, you guys just don't get it. You guys still don't get it, how much has been given to you. So he's going he's gonna to write a whole book of Ephesians to explain to us and you and me what the riches of his grace are. But I want to take you on a little journey through Ephesians real quick to show you how Paul even progresses in his own understanding and thoughts about God's grace and the riches that we're talking about here. How wonderful is God's grace? How vast is God's grace? Look at Ephesians 1.18. He says, he's praying for his, his friends, his, his people in his church, and he says that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. The riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. Now look at Ephesians 2.7. Next page over. He says, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So he goes from the riches of his glory to now he's just like the exceeding riches. Exceeding means exceeding. It's, it's growing. In fact, the, the meaning of this verse here is really amazing because he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. means, you know what we're going to be doing for all of the heaven, for all of eternity, all those millions of years when we think we're just going to be playing a harp? Really? What's going to be happening is God is going to be trying to show you how 
rich you are in grace. How much grace he has given you in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. So for a billion years, it's going to take God that long? No, longer. To show you how much he loves you. To show you how much he's done for you. How great it is with him. I tell my kids, it's like a video game without end of levels. You just keep going and keep getting deeper. Nerds, right? All right. Sorry, I pointed you out there, but... <laughs> it's, it's just exceeding. It's growing. Now look at uh, Ephesians 3.8. He says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he starts with just the glory of his grace. Then it gets exceeding. Now it's just unsearchable. It means there's no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries. There's this, uh, there's this great poem that says, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary, boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I love it. See, when he's saying in Ephesians 1.7, in our verse that we're looking at, when he's saying that the, the forgiveness was according to the riches of his grace, that word according just blows my mind. Because when I'm trying to understand, okay, what is it according to? The, the, the way to measure it is unmeasurable. So the amount that you've been given is unmeasurable. The grace that has been freely given to you and is available to every Christian soul is unmeasurable. That just blows my mind. So when do I start living from these resources? How do I start seeing the riches of Christ and his grace in my life? By believing what you read. When you read in him is redemption through the, uh, and forgiveness through his blood, the riches of God, do you believe it? Do you just believe? Do you believe that he's all you need? Do you believe that apart from him you can do nothing? Or is church and Jesus just a part of your life? Just an aspect, just Sunday morning, and if you're really holy, Wednesday night too. Is it just my drive listening to Caleb on the way in? Or, this is the crazy part. This is the, the hammer. This is the part that, that rocked my world when I was studying, okay? There are many things in my life that, life that I've held back from the Lord at different times, even continually today, different areas where I don't necessarily believe He cares about. Does He care about me when I'm sleeping? Does He care about me when I'm going to the bathroom? Does He care about how all these things... What is the extent of my belief? Do I believe he's with me in my job? Do I believe he has a plan for me in my job? Or is my job just a waste of time until I can get home? Do I believe he's with me in my family? Or is my family a burden to me? Or are my hobbies, or are my hobbies about me? Or are my hobbies about Jesus? What about my free time? Just the time I'm doing nothing. Is, is that about me or is it about Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus can be with me in that time? And when I didn't real, what I didn't realize in my life is that there were those were the areas, these things I held back from him, my free time, my hobbies, my job, these things were the areas where I was choosing to be spiritually poor. 
I was making the choice to be poor, not God. I was making that choice, choosing to be a spiritual beggar instead of choosing the blessings of the child of a child of God. All the things I'd been freely given. Man, why did I choose that? Because I didn't believe that he had something for me. And I tell you what, I, was going, I worked at a job that I hated. I worked there, and it was a, a burden to me every day. And I was like, I should be doing this, and I could be doing that, God. Why am I stuck here in this desk, and no one ever talks to me, and I'm, I just am dying here? I was suffocating until I changed the way I believed. And I started to believe God is with me and has a purpose for this time in my life. And I started to fill my mind up with scriptures during that time. And the job didn't get any more interesting. But I was spiritually alive. I was seeing him work in my heart. I was being blessed. Oh my gosh, I was, I was seeing the riches of the Lord just in a tiny way in my job. Then I got fired, but... <laughs> True story. <laughs> okay, so there's an outline of the first 14 verses of, of, the, of the Ephesians here. And um, so the first 14 verses would be the threefold charter. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you something real quick to chew on here. So you have, number one, you have the will of the Father. Number two, you have the work of the Son. And number three, you have the witness of the Spirit. And a charter, I didn't know what a charter was, so I was, as I was studying this, I thought it was cool. A charter is a grant of authority or rights, stating that the grantor formally recognizes the prerogative of the recipient to exercise the rights specified. Okay? So, all that means, it is the Father's will for you to receive these blessings. God wants you to be blessed in every area of your life, even your boring job even your horrible marriage, even all the stuff that's terrible in your life. God has a plan, and he wants you to be blessed spiritually in those times. Number two, it's the son's work to make you get, make sure you get those blessings. And number three, it's the spirit's witness that these blessings are in our lives. The spirit will show them to you. They will reveal them to you. You will see these blessings in your life. So the question is, all, well, the thing is, all you add to that equation, to this charter, is believe it. If someone made a charter and said, you are now rich, if you don't believe it, you're not going to live like it. So, do you believe? Will you treat every area of your life with humility and faith? According, um, acknowledging your daily need to God and his daily sufficiency and riches given to you to meet every single need, need and challenge in your life? Or do you want to try to meet those trials head-on in your own strength? Those are the two options. That's what's laid before you today. And, and you may, maybe in one area of your life, maybe in your family, you're doing a great job. And you're trusting the Lord and you believe in the Lord. But work is another story. And you're on a separate road there, and you're trying to do it in your own strength. And you're like, why is my head being banged against a wall at work and not at home? And then you realize, home is where I'm on my knees begging God, because I know I can't be the best husband in the world unless I trust in his strength and work. I'm, I think I got this. I think I should be okay. I think I should be able to sell insulation without God. 
But when we do that, we're working in our own strength. And we'll see that God will actually be holding his hand out against us, holding his hand out, keeping us away from all these blessings. I don't want us to do that. I want us to believe every single area. And so we treat him with all humility and faith. God, I need you. And God, I believe that you're going to meet me where I'm at and bring redemption through your blood and forgiveness to all my sins according to the riches of your grace. I believe it. Do you guys believe? All right, let's pray. My job is done. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you so much for a a word that we can believe and a a way that we can trust you and, and grow and be challenged to trust you more. Lord, I thank you for your word and the simplicity that, is, that it offers. God, I pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. Lord, we thank you, Father, for willing us to be free and willing us to receive all this goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.